Good morning. We're in Hebrews chapter 5 again, and we're continuing, uh, I guess you would call it <clears throat> the last week of a veiled priest. Uh, that's the last week in which we look at Hebrews chapter 5, uh, seeing uh, a, a large picture that is representative of sinful man and his position and his qualification and his calling to the priesthood and in the week to come if the lord should tarry we will find christ and how he is the priesthood how the priesthood is defined in christ how he is a priest forever and when we consider the words of of the lord uh, in reference to jesus uh, forever this priest in the order of Melchizedek we understand is forever uh, sometimes as from now until and although it's not exactly incorrect it is partial because forever means from now forward and from now at every time backward and so that is really the the aim of our study in the text and the preaching this morning so that we will see indeed that Christ is the great high priest uh, before any other man took the office and after every other mere man has taken the office christ is priest forever and i trust that we'll see that in the weeks to come and, and the beauty of that and the significance of it as christ is our savior but this week we're in the the final uh, portion as i said in chapter 5 verse 4 dealing with mere man as priest and I'll read the text and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. It says, uh, beginning with the first verse, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men and things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant misguided since he himself also is beset with weakness. And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins as for the people, so also for himself. And no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. Let's pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, in acknowledgement that you are the one true living God, that you are the God of all creation, Lord, that you have existed eternally, Lord, that you shall never pass away. Uh, nor shall you ever be thwarted, Lord, should your kingdom uh, be taken down. None of these things will ever happen, God. And we, because of it, must give to you our praise and our worship and ascribe to you the honor and the glory in every circumstance and event. Lord, for this life and for the, the life to come, we must praise you for it, Lord. And we, we come to you this morning acknowledging in faith that jesus is the christ lord seeing it in your word lord knowing historically that it is true Lord, that there is an insurmountable amount of evidence that jesus has come to save sinners and that it, it truly is finished or because of that we come today lord assembling as those who are the bride of christ lord in joy and gratitude and in a healthy fear, Lord, asking for wisdom and discernment of this Christ, 
Lord, that we may know Him and that we may serve Him. Lord, that we may preach His Word and proclaim it at every instant. Lord, that we would be so moved by it and changed by Him that we would be made more like Him, more sanctified by Your Holy Word. God, that Your Spirit would be upon us or to cause us to be righteous, to be more holy, to be set on the things of eternity. Lord, we pray this morning that we would be fed spiritually by this Word. Lord, and that those who have yet to know Christ, that they would come to know Him, Lord, that uh, You would tear down any walls of pride, Lord, anything that would cause us to be shamed in a public acknowledgement in any age or any condition. Lord, if there be one here, we just pray that You would comfort them, that they would be able to confess that Christ is Lord. Lord, even if there be some who have uh, said with their tongue that they believe that Christ is Lord, you have not come into obedience, Lord, in true repentance. We just pray that you would give them peace. And Lord, that you would, as you have said in your word in Proverbs, uh, give them the answer of their own tongue. Lord, that you would give from heaven to respond appropriately to the gospel with a saving knowledge of Christ. Lord, we pray these things in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. So just to recap, because this is uh, only the second Sunday where a lot of people have been able to come back. If you've missed the first five verses, or the first four verses, excuse me, of uh, chapter five, you'll see that it begins uh, talking about men and the priesthood. And it's talking about mortal men, men uh, born of only men and women not speaking of the Christ who is born of the virgin and conceived by the Holy Spirit, but speaking of every other man, it says that he's taken, he's grasped, he's moved, he's removed from among men. And it says that he is appointed and he's done so on behalf of men. Now, over time and through history, we have perverted, uh, perverted the priesthood. We've perverted the things uh, of the Lord in this matter, we have been taught, possibly even some in this room, that uh, those who are acting as priests uh, in the Old Testament and up until the time of Christ, and even maybe today when we uh, have some places and some people who claim to be the church and still use uh, the term priest, maybe they have taken it and said, He is representing God on behalf of God and man on behalf of man or vice versa or any combination of that. But literally the text here says it's on behalf of men. It's for the sake of mankind. It's for creation, uh, that being human beings, that God has appointed this uh, man or these men in times past to this position of high priest. And we'll notice that if we take the proper biblical view of that, that indeed Christ most certainly fills that portion of this scripture that he has been appointed. He has been taken and it must be so that he is of the line of David. He's the son of David and he's taken among men. Yet uh, there is something about Christ as priest that is unlike any other because he is divine. Yet he is exactly doing what this says. He is being appointed on behalf of men. 
again, Christ is not appointed as priest on his behalf or on behalf of God for the sake of God because he needs nothing. He, he does not have to have our worship to continue to be God like some religions may claim for their gods. He doesn't need man to exist or to have his will done. He is the creator, the all-powerful God that with the breath and the word of his breath, he can create and he can do. And with a thought, he is able to do what no person or no being or no creature has ever been able to do. So we see, yes, it must be true that if someone is appointed to the position of high priest, it is not for God's sake, but for man's. It's a wonderful thing to consider. It's a marvelous uh, view of grace that God would provide such a man in any respect, both present in Christ and past in both Christ and mere man who would serve in this position. And we must see that a sovereign God has indeed placed these men here. And it is for our benefit. It is for our sanctification as those who belong to Christ. And it says he's done so in order to offer gifts and sacrifices. Well, this will soon sum up everything that we understand of gifts and sacrifices that are given to God because it says they are given for sins. It must mean that sinfulness has its reward. It must mean that sinfulness has its price. It must mean that where sin is given, where rebellion is brought forth, and something else must too come so that God would be appeased, so that God would be pleased, so that His justice would be satisfied. In it we have the office of high priest, where one must come and he must give both, it says, gifts and sacrifices. And we've talked about how the, the gifts and sacrifices, though we seem to want to separate them, and it seems that they could be separated, but at the same time we must see gifts and sacrifices as not mutually exclusive things, but those things that are both gifts and sacrifice. The one item being both a gift and a sacrifice. Why is it a gift? Because it comes from God. Because it's given to man. It's useful to man. Think about this. Not only is any gift that we consider, uh, consider even Christ the greatest lamb, but if we would consider any animal sacrifice, it must, like what we saw last week, uh, with Abraham as he goes to give his only son as a sacrifice. A lamb is given. It must have been created by God. It's a gift from God given to man, used for man, because now Abraham, instead of his son, may sacrifice this ram. And it's given to Abraham for his use, but ultimately it returns to God, right? What a gift and sacrifice to see in it, again, that gospel picture, the picture of what uh, Christ has done and what his word is doing in the hearts of believers, that it would cause us to gaze upon God, to look again to man and his sinfulness and his need, and then again to God. Everything in the Bible is modeling that picture of the gospel, and even the sacrifice from God to man for man back to God and that's what we must see if we do not see this then we have overlooked our sinfulness if we've overlooked our sinfulness then we most certainly will and have 
perverted the priesthood. For if we ignore sin, then what need is there for the priesthood? And if that is the case, and we don't trust in God for sacrifice, we don't trust in Christ ultimately for that sacrifice, then the priesthood must be a means of gaining something else. Whether it be honor, as the text this morning will deal with, or glory, or the esteem of man, or maybe finances, or maybe some backhanded deals. All of these things, unfortunately, find uh, some tradition and some history in church. That these things have happened, that people have used these offices and these what should be heavenly callings to gain something rather than to give. The priesthood is a place of service, not a place of obtaining things or acquiring anything other than the grace and mercy of God. We must be very diligent to uphold that view. Even today, the Catholic Church and the Episcopal Church and those closely related, there are men called priests. Men regarded as some special, sinless if not, or almost sinless if not sinless human being that can somehow do something for you that Christ has not yet done. It's a perversion. It's a false gospel. It's a misunderstanding. In fact, it is no understanding at all. But here the text says that the priest was one who would give give and sacrifice to which I would ask the question going into the text this morning, what gift and what sacrifice would you stand in need of, would you look for today if Christ was not already the greatest gift? If Christ is not already the greatest sacrifice? And now we even have this human understanding of the priesthood by which if we do not understand anything as to why the priesthood exists not except for in Christ, we can say just that. Listen, I don't need a priest because the greatest gift has already been given. I don't need another priest because the greatest sacrifice has been given. Therefore, we may know that Christ is the only priest. The only true great high priest. The only one who is giving the gift and the sacrifice that will uh, include man in God's salvation. That will procure that for him. And it goes on to tell about men as they served in this position. It says uh, he was taken among men and he can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself also is beset with weakness. Paul described this after conversion. He said, yes, I was sinning against God. He, he says, I am still the chief of sinners. But he describes the sinning in which he calls it a, a sinning of ignorance. Of not understanding, not truly knowing God. And here is why the priest is bringing the sacrifice. And I think to the words of our Savior. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. His sacrifice, him giving himself, as it says in the Bible, him giving himself was for the ignorance of man. This is not to say that every sin is not covered by the blood of Christ for those who believe in Him. But it is something to be said to recognize that it is often and always, if it is listed, 
It is listed as a sin of ignorance and misguidedness, not a sin of willfulness. That Christ was giving himself and he said he did it not because they were willfully sinning, although the truth is they were to some degree, but it was because they know not what they were doing. They comprehended not. They were children of darkness rather than light. But it also is a testimony to the saving power of Christ on the cross because what he was doing was for the sins of those that were yet future to become children of God. It was applicable to those who already trusted, to those who were trusting, and to those who would trust in Christ. What a wonderful gift and what a wonderful sacrifice. But every man before Christ serving this position was misguided, ignorant, sinful. None of these which we could say Christ is. And because of it, it's that he was obligated to offer sacrifices for sins for the people and for himself. To which we say this does not speak of our Christ. He was not offering a sacrifice for himself. He's offering a sacrifice for Unto God the Father on behalf of men. This is exactly the definition of the priesthood. Then we arrive to the verse that we'll look at this morning. And I want to take it a little bit different than we normally do. Normally I like to take one or two words at a time and and look at those words. And I want to do that. But then I want to go back and look at the context of that and, and really summarize it and see the historical implications of the priesthood and what has become of it. And so when we look in verse 4, it says, And no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. The text is making a very clear representation of the priesthood in Aaron. And it is really summing it up with that. But as we begin to look with the just the first few words, it says, And no one, not a single body, not a single person, not many, not one. This is excluding every single mere human being. And even here, it is excluding Christ. And you may say, easy easy but it is it's excluding christ because it says no one takes the honor to himself and we must realize that christ was not serving self although he was god in the flesh text bears out that he didn't think equality was with god was something to be grasped but rather he wasn't there to prove himself equal but that he was there to be the sufficient lamb, the sufficient offering to God that would satisfy his wrath, that would ultimately please God for the sake of men. And for that reason, we can say no one, including the Christ, has ever taken the honor for himself in this position. Not someone, not anyone, not a single Created or divine being who served as priest. No one can, no one will, and no one ever has 
taken the honor to himself. Not rightfully. And in that, as we'll come back later, we'll see that there are some who seek to do just that. Who would pervert not only the office of priest, but the office of elder, the office of pastor, the position of deacon, church member. And we can find a plethora of people and uh, positions within the quote-unquote church that will seek to take honor to themselves, to seek to rob the honor from God and bestow it upon themselves. But the text here says that they cannot, not a single one, takes the honor to himself. Now, the word takes uh, really has a great meaning, a heavy weight to it. When it says no one here is taking the honor, it means uh, in regards to this office and to this position of priest, to this responsibility, because that is what it is. And we better see it that way, that this is an office. This is a position. This is a responsibility. And I mean that because guess what? Anybody wants to be in an office here? Can you place yourself? Absolutely not. Not within the church. Not within government. And you can buy votes. And we've seen that. And it still may not work out. We cannot place ourselves to the office. We cannot take the honor and put ourselves into this position. A position is something that is filled by someone and it is also qualified by someone else that this person is able to fill this position. So at every instance when we see no one is able to take the honor, that means no one can take the office because he must be placed there. No one can take the position because he must be found as qualified by someone higher. And no one can take the responsibility. And this one's real easy because no one would. You may look to your right or to your left, but the truth is that even your spouse, the one sitting next to you in front of the Almighty God would be hard to find a word to utter, much less to take responsibility for your sin. We can't even speak for ourselves before God. We cannot justify our own sin, much less could we stand up for someone else. Here the priest is taking on the responsibility of the sacrifice for sins he is able to mediate. And as we know, and as we will certainly see in the weeks to come, only Christ can mediate. One mediator between God and man, that is the man, Christ, the Jesus, whom we know from the Bible. Only he is able to mediate. Therefore, it stands to reason only he could act as priest. No one can take the office, position, or responsibility of a priest. No one could grasp the honor, could forcefully take it. No one could merely ask for it even. You cannot ask for yourself honor, right? There's nothing you can do for that. It is when we say an honor is to be bestowed upon someone tonight, it's because someone else has chosen to do that or a group has chosen to consider it a hall of fame uh, 
an honorary degree from a university, uh, an honor. Uh, you may even see pews dedicated in honor of someone. Guess what? They didn't get to choose. And the idea is that no one can take, no one can grasp, no one can even receive by asking or forcefully asserting himself the honor of this priesthood. If we continue to look, we see that the possession of such an office is not transferable by a man. It is not inherited from man. Never can it be taken in any of these respects apart from the appointment of God. Even as we consider Aaron and his children who were truly to be the first real priests without God's appointment, even they could not take it. Even they could not serve. Look at Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Here we have one who is serving in this divine appointment. And here we also have called before us holy brethren speaking to the church, speaking to those who belong to Christ, and they are called partakers of a calling. That means that the caller has called to the call. We have received not because we have asked, not because we have asserted, but because of a divine appointment. We would have a really tough time calling ourselves to the priesthood. Many of you know we can't even get ourselves a doctor's appointment. Right? That is a reality. You're on someone else's time, someone else's decision, even in something like that. How much more so is it for a divine appointment like the priesthood? You can't call and schedule yourself. You neither have the ability, you don't know the number, and we all know you can't even get to the doctor's office if you've got a number. Consider this, that you cannot even speak to God about such a great office if it were not for Christ. Not even able, it's not even on the table for discussion. Apart from this divine appointment, there is no calling and there is no hearing. There is no reception even of an office or an appointment. Should be seen like what we saw in the previous verses as a gift. Not only is the calling to the priesthood as we consider it, as this text says no one takes the honor to himself, it is a gift to be a priest and it is a sacrifice to be his priest, but it is jointly a mercy of God upon men to serve in this respect. To serve God on behalf of men. 
Likewise, it can be described as a gift and a sacrifice of God. Just like we saw in the previous verses. Because it's a gift whereby the wrath of God until Christ's incarnation, it remained unsatisfied. And that is the reality. The wrath of God is unsatisfied, yet momentarily it is acceptable the sacrifice of men so that mankind can be spared until the Messiah's salvation is complete. Now we see what the priest is doing must be a heavenly calling because only God could accept it. Only God is willing to take this gift that we offer, this sacrifice that we offer. And although it does not forever please, because we know only the blood of Christ can do that, only the blood of Christ is truly an atonement for sin, God has given a gift whereby in a moment of time and for a season, we could offer through the priesthood a sacrifice that would, uh, for lack of a better term, appease the wrath of God until Christ has paid it in full. That is a gift. That is a mercy. That is a calling in which only God can create and only God can fulfill. It says, but he receives it when he is called by God. He receives it. Something is given and someone receives. It is applied. It is made known. We are made aware the reality is that even for the Christian, when you look at the priesthood, without God, we wouldn't even see it as a gift. We wouldn't receive this calling as something as necessary or even worthy of our time. In fact, when I often look at the priesthood, I thought, there is no way I would want to do that. It's a scary thing, right? To be responsible because... I, I see all the requirements and I think, man, I can't even remember to do my daily chores sometimes. I, I forget to brush my teeth. And these guys are responsible for sin, satisfying sacrifices. It takes a special kind of anointing, special kind of calling that one would be able to do this and that one will be willing to do this and not just scared to death. But on the other half, there are those who are ignorant and who would want to draw upon this office to take honor to himself. But instead of taking the honor, instead of going after this position of priest and serving in this, in this place, in this office, so that you could be esteemed highly, there are some who would biblically begin to serve and accept the calling because you could not accept it. It's the sovereign God. He's calling, and if He is calling, you will surely answer. But when this is heard, He is now receiving, and it is being applied. It is becoming a reality for this person. <clears throat> And the honor is not in simply holding the office, but the honor is that you have been chosen by the Almighty to do these things. 
Is it an honorable office? Well, certainly. But is the honor the purpose of the office? And that answer is no. In fact, any honor that could be derived from serving God or serving His people is God's honor to have. It should be ascribed to Him. It should be offered to Him. It should be acknowledged of Him and Him alone. And yet again, some will pervert this. Here it says they received when he is called by God, and that is excluding any other means of gaining access to an office because this is actually uh, declaring that this is one honor that is received by God, and it is because one is called by God, and when he is called by God, we acknowledge that God is the only caller. God is the only caller. So many ways the priesthood could be applied to the modern Christian's life. To the latter day Christian that we are, the last days followers of Christ. How can this be applied? Well, we receive nothing apart from Christ. We receive salvation not apart from Christ. We cannot answer the right answer. We cannot do enough. We cannot say enough. To be saved, but it is truly like the priesthood, a gift. And that is how we should view it. You know, there is a there is this insinuated peculiar priesthood that is described. And it's not a, a priesthood of offering physical sacrifices, but it's a spiritual priesthood that belongs to all Christian Christians. And in it, we can find the application because we see that we are called of God to do these things. Called apart as the bride of Christ, not to offer a sacrifice that will atone for sin, but to recognize that God is giving this gift of an office. We are becoming what chapter three calls partakers. And it is a wonderful thing, but we cannot get it ourselves. We cannot ask for it and merely take it. We cannot seize it by force. But we must recognize that God is the only caller. The text goes on to say, even as Aaron was, and this is saying, look, if you have any ideas about the priesthood and consider the context that this would be given to uh, the Hebrew people who have this long historical lineage of the priesthood in which they understand it in a certain way, but they are failing to see Christ's fulfillment of it. And because of that, they may be thinking, hey, we still need a priest. Christ has not fulfilled this. And if we understand that, then their appeal to the priesthood can come to no higher than the Mosaic Covenant in which we see that Aaron is called to be a priest. So it says, even as Aaron. So the appeal here is because these people uh, in Hebrews, uh, as they're receiving the epistle, they are soon forgetting that Christ has fulfilled everything or that they have not even known that Christ is the fulfillment of the priesthood. And so they're calling, listen, they are called. They cannot take the honor to themselves. They are called by God, even as Aaron was. The greatest priest in your mind, because you do not understand and comprehend the Christ, the greatest priesthood comes by Aaron. Aaron and his lineage and I am telling you that even this is impossible apart from God that is what the text is describing if we want to understand this we can turn to Exodus 
chapter 30. No one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he is called of God, even as Aaron was. Exodus 30, verse 30. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them, that they may minister as priests to me. Who is calling there? None other than the Most High. He is directing who shall be the priest. He is directing what they must do to minister, it says. And He is declaring whom they are ministering for. On behalf of men, but for the sake of me, it says. God of heaven. You shall speak to the sons of Israel saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on anyone's body, nor shall you make any like it. The same proportions. It is holy and it shall be holy to you. Whoever shall mix any like it or whoever puts any of it on a layman shall be cut off from his people. And we think that that doesn't apply. For some reason, many would believe Paul, we're not sure, but the penman of the Hebrews is having to remind us of this because that is exactly what we would do. We will mix in the same proportions and call it the recipe of holiness, the recipe of sanctification and salvation call it a sufficing sacrifice and God says it is not why because there is one priest one appointment one greatest highest Jesus Christ according to the Mosaic law the priesthood came through a lineage, but what we fail to understand is because that is how God caused it to be. That is how God willed it to be, and no mere man could take the office to himself. It cannot be succeeded like an heir on a throne. It cannot be passed down. Neither can the offices in the church. You can't be a deacon just because your dad was a deacon. You can't be an elder just because your dad was an elder. You can't be a pastor or a preacher just because you like it or you want to be. This is not a decision for the church. This is a decision of God that will be shown to the church, made known to the church, through prayer, through familiarity with the Word and the qualifications of such. 
And so as we see this office of high priest, although it is not speaking to us as high priest, it is most certainly relevant because it causes us to see that Christ is the only high priest and that if we are to serve as this peculiar priesthood for God, then some of these things must also apply to us and we must recognize that God is sovereign. We must recognize that the offices in the church... The positions in the church, the qualifications thereof, they are all from God, not of men. We must not appoint to them quickly or pick through them as to which we choose, but we must see as God has declared. We must serve as God has called us to do. That is very important. God has gifted you called you to cut the grass, vacuum the floors, to preach, to call the saints and check on them, that is where you must serve. It is important. Somebody has to do it. And if you are thinking about those things, it could be a great indicator that the Lord is calling you to do those things. Why is it important? Well, because throughout biblical history, many men have wanted to do something other than they have been called to do, and many have been called to do something other than what they were doing. Consider the first disciples, fishermen, throwing and drawing nets. And he says what? I will make you fishers of men. Diego used to tell me about this in the Spanish it's pescadores de pecadores. Sounds pretty neat. Fishermen of men. Pescadores de pecadores. Jonah didn't want to do what he was called to do. And soon we will see uh, in regards to this priesthood and its application into the ministry of Christians, to the responsibility of Christians, we will see the same thing has happened in numbers with the Levites. The analogy is that in this particular time when we are serving and then where we have a high priest, God is still calling. And we should be warning others and we should be warning even ourselves to see what God has separated for what particular holy use. That is his church. He separated the Levites. To turn to Numbers chapter 16. And this caused some problems. Caused some deaths. For even those who are counted uh, as the people of God. Beginning verse 1. Excuse me, in chapter 16. Now Korah, the son of Izar, the son of Kohath, and the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, on the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took action. And they rose up before Moses together 
with some of the sons of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, chosen in the assembly, men of renown. They assembled together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone far enough, for all the congregation are holy, every one of them. And the Lord is in their midst, so why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? When Moses heard this, he fell on his face and he spoke to Korah and all his company saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will bring him near to himself. Here's that holy calling. Even the one whom he will choose, it says, he will bring near to himself. Do this. Take censers for yourselves, Korah and all your company, and put fire in them, and lay incense upon them in the presence of the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the only one who is holy. You have gone far enough, you sons of Levi. Then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it not enough for you that God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the congregation of Israel? You're Levites. Is that not good enough? He says to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them. And that he has brought you near Korah and all your brothers, sons of Levi, with you. Are you seeking for the priesthood also? Therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. But as for Aaron, who is he that you grumble against him? Then Moses sent a summons to Dathan and Abiram and the sons of Eliab. But they said, we will not come up. Is it not enough that you have brought us up out of this land flowing with milk and honey to have us die in the wilderness? But you would also lord it over us? Indeed, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor have you given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Would you put out the eyes of these men? Will we not come up? Then Moses became very angry and said to the Lord, Do not regard their offering. I have not taken a single donkey from them, nor have I done harm to any of them. Moses said to Korah, You and all your company... Be present before the Lord tomorrow, both you and they along with Aaron. Each of you take his fire pan and put incense in it, and each of you bring his censer before the Lord. 250 fire pans. Also you and Aaron shall each bring his fire pan. So they each took his own censer and put fire on it and laid incense on it. And they stood at the doorway of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Thus Korah assembled all the congregation against him at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them instantly. But they fell on their faces and said, O God, God of the spirits of all flesh, when one man sins, will you be angry with the entire congregation? Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the congregation saying, Get back from around the dwellings of Korah and Dathan and Abiram. Then Moses arose and went to Dathan and Abiram and the elders of Israel following him. And he spoke to the congregation saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing that belongs to them or you will be swept away in all their sin. 
So they got back from the well of the dwellings of Korah and Dathan and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the doorway of their tents, along with their wives and their sons and their little ones. Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these deeds, for this is not my doing. If these men die the death of men, or if they suffer the fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about an entirely new thing, and the ground opens up its mouth and swallows them up with all that is theirs, and they descend alive into Sheol, you will then understand that these men have spurned the Lord. As he finished speaking, all of these words, the ground that was under them split open and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up and their households and all the men who belonged to Korah with their possessions. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive to Sheol. And the earth closed over them and they perished from the midst of the assembly. All Israel who were around from them fled at their outcry for they said the earth may swallow us up. Fire also came forth from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering their incense. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Say to Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, that he shall take up the censers out of the midst of the blaze, for they are holy, and scatter the burning coals abroad. As for these censers, these men who have sinned at the cost of their lives, let them be made into hammered sheets for plating of the altar, since they did present them before the Lord, and they are holy. And they shall be for a sign to the sons of Israel. So Eleazar the priest took the bronze censers which the men who were burned had offered and they hammered them out as a plating for the offer, altar as a reminder to the sons of Israel that no layman who is not of the descendants of Aaron should come near to burn incense before the Lord so that he will not become like Korah and his company just as the Lord had spoken to him through Moses. This is a story, an account, biblically and historically accurate account of a man who would attempt to take the honor to himself, the office, the responsibility of a priest upon himself, not being called as Aaron was. Here is the story of Korah and 250 who would not see any longer the goodness of God because they sought after something that was not theirs. They were not content with what God had called them to do. And the, the text really bears out the truth that uh, the, the reality is that every Christian, even now, but uh, even in times past, these of Israel, everyone was called out for a specific purpose. Yet they did not regard the calling as holy or holy enough. The priesthood was not looked upon as something that one should regard as truly sanctified, as truly holy, to which I would present to you the church must as well be careful. One that we do not call a mere man a priest. That we do not think that a mere man has something to offer God on our behalf that Jesus Christ has not already offered and it has been accepted and applied to our account. But in the same sense, as we minister, we must not fall into the trap 
thinking that we must serve in a particular place where we are not called to do so. Where we may receive some glory or we may receive some honor among men that is not deserving of us or any other men. We must be diligent and thankful for the gift that God has given us to serve where we must serve. We must see that in regards to the priesthood, only Christ is able to offer a sufficient sacrifice. And anything that we must offer as this peculiar priesthood is no longer a literal sacrifice, but a spiritual sacrifice of service to God. And that is what the priesthood has always been and what it will always continue to be, a service to God. Not a service to man or a service for man, for glory, for honor, for possessions, for clout. We must fall upon our face as would Moses crying to the Lord, recognizing that the only true sacrifice is in the greatest, highest priest, Jesus Christ. Sacrifices that the priest would offer in accordance with the law were proper and appropriate at the time but not true like Christ sacrificed. Not truly and holy, W-H-O-L-Y, holy atoning for sin. The priesthood was restricted upon God's called out. The church must be the same. The church is not a place for the unregenerate. The church is the meeting and the assembly of those made alive in Christ. It is those who will recognize the calling. It is those who will see and recognize that Christ is the great high priest who will look to no other, who will serve no other. And we see many biblical accounts where this is not what has happened. If you look in John chapter 11, there is one, chapter 11, verse 49, who is serving as high priest in a particular time. And when considering crucifying or sentencing to death the Christ, he makes a prophetic statement that it would be good to kill this one man so that the people, so that all the people would not rise up or come against him. That one man should die on behalf of everyone rather than to let him go and have destruction, which was a prophetic statement by one who had asserted himself to the priesthood and had no business there. He spoke of the Christ, prophesied of the Christ, and had no idea, and that should tell us just how unique and just how holy the priesthood is. Then even a man who is serving and acknowledged by men as a priest, a high priest, who in fact was not called of God, was still used to prophesy of the Christ. It's a holy calling. It's dealing 
with salvation. It's dealing with sacrifice. It's men being dealt with by God through blood. See the same thing in Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 23, those who would seek this position for honor. And so this morning, I would ask that we would take a deep introspective look at our service to the kingdom and to the church, to the Savior, to know that we are doing what we are called by God to do and that we are not uh, asserting ourselves to places which we should not be, that we recognize that Christ is the only high priest, that He is the only sacrifice, that without Him any service or any gift or any temporal sacrifice that we can make is never sufficient. And that we are yet in some ways called like the priest to minister to people, to be concerned with others and their sin, to be concerned, as this passage says, with our own sin. That we would somehow not offer a sacrifice of atonement unto salvation, but that we would sacrifice what the flesh loves for what God loves. That we would give up the things of the world to see that God is well pleased. That's a priesthood. Christ has made it possible to give spiritual sacrifice bodies as a living sacrifice to God because without Him it would be a dead sacrifice. I thought about it this morning when it says that your body is a living sacrifice. It's only made possible through the high priest Jesus Christ because every sacrifice before Him was a lamb or a goat or a dove, or whatever it may be, a bull, and it would die and it would be consumed. And now we have a sacrifice in Christ that is a lamb who is risen. A sacrifice that is living. So therefore, now can the priesthood to follow after this elder brother, this Jesus the Christ, will be a priesthood of living sacrifices. Christ being the supreme living sacrifice that He had given Himself, He had given up the ghost. Three days later, He's risen and then later ascended into heaven. A living sacrifice so that every priest, peculiar priest, every Christian, every follower after could present Himself a living sacrifice. The sacrifices before Christ temporarily appeased God according to His own will. That when Christ would come, then the sacrifice would be given and it would be sufficient. So before, it was, it was good, but it wasn't the best. And Christ is the final, the best, the greatest, the highest, the only true. And then after that, so is the Christian life. Just like that. A sacrifice that can't get us into heaven. A sacrifice that can't obtain honor or glory or righteousness, but a sacrifice that is still good because God says to give it. A sacrifice that is a gift, a mercy of God upon the church, upon His people.
that they would so be moved by Christ and what He has done that they would read His Word and in it find life and in finding that life live abundantly in it, by it. Christ said that if we love Him, we would keep His commandments. We would live as Christ lives. And we would die to sin. As Paul would say, Go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we just come before you, Lord, thanking you that Christ is the eternal high priest before any man would take the office and after every man has served, Christ remains. Lord, we know there's so much more to it than what we may see this side of heaven, Lord, but we do acknowledge that The saying is enough. Christ remains. If He lives, yea, shall I live. What a great gift. Great gift of life. Lord, we praise You for it and we thank You for the resurrection of the Holy God-Man, Jesus Christ, the sinless Lamb of God. Lord, we pray that we could lean faithfully and wholly upon your everlasting, ever-loving arms. God, that we would trust you more and that we would praise you more, that we would worship you more. But Lord, ultimately we pray this morning as well that uh, those who belong to you have yet to confess, Lord, we just pray that they would see Christ in, in amazement and gratitude Shout the wonderful salvation, Lord, and learn to trust in Him. Lord, that You would grant discernment of the person of Your Son. Lord, we ask that You would receive our worship this morning, a worship of song, a worship in the reading of Your Word, the worshiping the preaching of Your Word, and the listening of the preaching of Your Word. Lord, the, the worship that would be the assembling to come, Lord, the fellowship of the meal. And we just pray that uh, you would bless those times spiritually. Lord, giving us an, an increase of joy and knowledge of who you are. Lord, that you would strengthen our bodies that we may serve. Lord, and bless the preparers of the food. and Lord, that we would not take any honor from it as well, knowing that it has come from you. Lord, that every good and perfect gift and every temporal and physical blessing as well as spiritual comes from a God who is concerned for His people. Lord, we praise You for that and ask that Christ be truly lifted up and exalted this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.